chapter eight of finding a way out an autobiography by robert r moton this librivox recording is in the public domain with north and south it is sometimes thought that schools like hampton fisk atlanta tuskegee and others are at a disadvantage because in many instances the heads of these institutions have been obliged to spend a considerable portion of their time in the north raising the funds necessary for carrying forward their work and i myself have shared this feeling to some extent it has also seemed to me a matter of deep regret that men like general armstrong dr frissell president ware president bumstead dr cravath dr washington and others should have been obliged to take a large part of their time and frequently all of their vacations in going from place to place often with a group of singers delivering addresses with a view to creating interest in the work of their institutions but experience has taught me that while there are great disadvantages there are on the other hand certain compensating advantages i think no other movement has kept the north so well informed on all the phases of conditions in the south between negroes and whites the kindly attitude of an increasing number of each race toward the other and the growing desire on the part of the south to see that the negro is educated go far toward creating a greater interest on the part of the north in the welfare of the negro and a broader sympathy on the part of the people of that section with the efforts which each race is making toward cooperation in those things which make for the development of the south the heads of these institutions deserve a great deal of credit for the vision and courage displayed in thus interpreting the attitude of the south and the needs of their own work general armstrong used frequently to say forty years ago that the north would change its attitude toward the negro if some strong effort were not put forth to prevent it and that it was the duty of hampton as well as of all institutions interested in the welfare of the country to bring about a greater sympathy and more helpful understanding between the sections it so happened that in almost every year from the time of my graduation at hampton and even before i spent some time with the hampton party in the north frequently with general armstrong and later with dr frissell usually accompanied by the hampton quartet trying primarily to raise money for carrying forward hampton's work during that period we visited most of the cities and appeared in many of the leading churches east of the mississippi river and while i am not sure of the good that i have been able to accomplish for hampton or the general cause in this way i am very sure that the contact with prominent clergymen and laymen as well as with thousands of less prominent people of the various denominations gave me a kind of experience and training that is to be had in no other way i still recall some experiences i had on one of my early trips with general armstrong as a member of the quartet and also as one of the campaign speakers helping to raise funds for the institute i had gone the previous spring while a student in the senior class on a short trip to baltimore and washington but this time we made quite a long tour going throughout new england and visiting many places including boston 
which i had always wanted to see i with other students used to argue with dr frissell who conducted our current history recitation during my middle and senior years over the relative importance of virginia and new york the south and the north and why the textbooks and the people generally spoke so frequently of the greatness of new york while i believed what the textbooks said still i always had a feeling that virginia was almost as great and important as new york i argued that while new york was a very important seaport norfolk was also a very important seaport that the norfolk navy yard was about as great and important as the brooklyn navy yard dr frissell never permitted himself to argue with his pupils on this point apparently lest it should lessen their pride in their own section of or state but i remember how on this trip one sunday morning as we were returning from brooklyn over the famous brooklyn bridge dr frissell pointed out the elevated railroads in new york the post office and many of the tall office buildings and asked if we had anything like that in virginia the point was not lost as our meetings during the week were usually held in the evenings we had the days free which made it possible for us to spend much time in sightseeing in and around new york one evening riding in on the train from orange new jersey i was telling dr frissell what i had seen during the day mentioning central park the zoological gardens the metropolitan museum the wonderful palisades the egyptian mummies and the great obelisk which had only recently been set up he and general armstrong asked me many questions about how i liked these things and what i thought of them the general expressed his great pleasure that i had spent my time so profitably as also did dr frissell dr frissell said with a little twinkle with which those of us who knew him well were familiar how do these things compare with richmond and norfolk i finally admitted that i supposed new york was a greater state than virginia and any virginian knows how hard it is to make that admission but i still believe virginia to be a great state my only concession being that i believe there are other states north and south equally as great with people equally as good there were for me many very interesting incidents on this tour at troy new york general armstrong was given a banquet by some thirty or forty men of the remaining members of the company that he had recruited in that city when he left williams college at the outbreak of the civil war their enthusiasm for general armstrong who had been their captain was most impressive the quartet sang during the dinner and i delivered my little address after which there were many speeches by these veterans general armstrong closed with what was to me a most remarkable and touching speech on the race question setting forth the duty of the north to the negro and to the south the reasons why there should not be any bitterness between the two sections and the races and what he had observed in the negro as to his possibilities as a useful american citizen in fact this was one of the most impressive addresses i ever heard him deliver at stamford connecticut after our usual meeting in one of the churches we were all invited with general armstrong to the home of dr john lord the historian where the quartet sang many numbers and where general armstrong was asked to make a few remarks when general armstrong beckoned for me to come over and i was introduced to dr lord i became somewhat confused 
as a lady whispered to me that this was john lord the historian i was familiar with the old roman world and his beacon lights of history and i was surprised to find this man who had actually written books and such important and interesting ones to be so simple and unaffected in his ways he moved about during the entire evening telling stories to one group after another and spending considerable time with the members of the quartet i recall that he had a pipe in his mouth it was sometimes lighted and sometimes not it was frequently right side up but i think that it was more frequently upside down he appeared to be entirely unconscious of himself and took great pleasure in seeing that the hampton students especially were in no sense neglected his pleasure and enthusiasm over the singing were most evident the truth of the matter is that he was so simple and so much like other people that i was almost disappointed frequently at very important meetings dr washington spoke for hampton with dr frissell and myself and it was interesting that on these occasions he rarely ever referred to his own splendid work at tuskegee institute except to speak of it as a part of hampton's work i found that usually northern audiences care little or nothing for oratory or orators as such a simple straightforward statement of the situation as we saw it and faced it and of what hampton was doing not for the negro as a race merely but for the negro as a part of the citizenship of america was the thing that usually was most appealing i always felt that my own talks were unimportant and ineffective but dr frissell always insisted upon my going i thought and frankly said in my short talks that i was there because dr frissell wanted to use me as a sort of sample of the finished product of hampton i remember however a large meeting at a congregational church in montclair new jersey at which some very distinguished speakers were present and that i made my talk with considerable nervousness and was very much surprised therefore to read afterward the comment of dr amory h bradford then pastor of the church which i quote here it was my privilege recently at a meeting held in the interest of hampton institute to listen to three very able speakers one was a distinguished doctor of divinity who has occupied a conspicuous place in the denomination of which he is a member and who is a genuine orator he knows how to present his subject as few men do and that night he was singularly persuasive and eloquent another speaker was an eminent business man who had his material well in hand and who presented it with rare discrimination and ability when they had finished one could hardly help the feeling that the black and apparently commonplace colored man who sat upon the platform would hardly keep the meeting on the high level that it had already attained he began by apologizing for his presence and the absence of his chief dr frissell who was ill but he had not spoken for many seconds before it was evident that he was a natural master of assemblies with ease and absolute command of himself with clearness and with entire absence of self-assertion he presented his thought on the colored problem there may have been abler and more convincing addresses on this subject in other places but i am ready to bear my testimony to the fact that never here nor elsewhere have i heard a more perfect address of its kind than fell from the lips of major moton of hampton institute on that occasion there was no playing to the galleries no twisting of facts for effect no noise but calmness moral earnestness 
exquisite diction and a poetical quality that made the speech a gem of its kind so much has been heard about the impossibility of uplifting the colored race that one can hardly help asking whether major moton may not be an exception he is no exception the same may be said of a large number of others dr washington also of course saw and appreciated the value and importance of this northern work while it took a great deal of energy and tuskegee like other institutions must have felt the effects of the frequent absence of its principle yet he realized that the work done in this direction was very much worth while and believed that extension work in the north is a lateral influence of these southern institutions for which not only the negro but the south as a whole should be grateful hampton institute has always been the subject of a certain amount of criticism from some people not that they objected to hampton as such but because they felt that hampton's emphasis on industrial or vocational education and the popularity that hampton enjoyed in the north and in the south reacted to the disadvantage of institutions that stood for higher education for negroes general armstrong was always conscious that he was never wholly acceptable to the rank and file of colored people for that reason i remember that a very important convention of colored ministers was held in the town of hampton and many of the distinguished visitors to the community drove through the grounds certain of the more prominent members of the party refused to get out of their carriages they admired the location and buildings and the general appearance of the campus from the outside but at a private banquet one evening one distinguished man in speaking of the community said that while the institute physically from what he could observe was all that one could wish and that he was glad that the negroes had the privilege of working on such a campus as a matter of fact general armstrong and his corps of workers were teaching the negroes to be hewers of wood and drawers of water and that at bottom he was training the negro boys and girls to be servants to the white race that he never saw a more beautiful campus but that it was in his judgment a literary penitentiary it was to be expected therefore that dr frissell in assuming the principalship of the institute would have to face in some degree at least the same sort of attitude after observing this condition for three or four years i finally came to the conclusion that this opposition to hampton was due largely to a lack of knowledge of hampton's methods of work and what was being accomplished by those methods i felt it would be a good thing if dr frissell and many of our other teachers could see more of the colored people and if colored people could become better acquainted with them and if there could be a clearer understanding between hampton's faculty and the colored men and women with college training from whom most of this kind of opposition came it would do much toward removing what seemed to me unwarranted antagonism dr frissell readily concurred in the suggestion that we have at hampton each summer what we hoped would be in a general way an educational conference this idea i acknowledge grew out of the idea of the farmers conference at tuskegee which had been introduced some years before by dr washington and which had been so successful in helping the negro farmer in the rural south to do better farming as well as to improve the general life of the community in which he lived the difference in our situation however was that it seemed to us advisable to invite to our conference the educated classes of negroes 
especially teachers and other professional men along with editors business men and successful farmers at our first conference dr washington presided after which time it seemed to me and to dr washington also that it would be better that dr Frissel, the principal should preside to the early conferences we invited no white people either northerners or southerners the idea was that there should be absolutely free and frank discussion and criticism of hampton Tuskegee, dr washington dr Frissel, and any one or anything else that might come up in the course of discussions indeed we purposely arranged to have papers on subjects that we knew were under criticism and from men who as we knew opposed hampton methods i doubt if up to that time so many negroes of distinction had ever come together in one assembly as came to some of these conferences the numbers ran from three and four hundred to a thousand including of course large numbers of school teachers these people spent from one to three days as guests of the institute seeing and studying the work in trades agriculture and other lines at first hand and at the same time getting something of the atmosphere of hampton and its work we had present on these occasions such men as president w s scarborough of wilberforce university dr kelly miller of howard university mrs fanny jackson coppin professor hugh m brown president r r wright professor m b young professor c n gresham dr inman page mrs annie j cooper dr w e b du bois dr francis j grimke mr a h grimke paul lawrence dunbar t thomas fortune and other prominent educators and leaders of thought among our people i do not think that anything that hampton ever did served more to change the attitude of colored people toward its work than this movement which gave them a more intimate knowledge of what hampton was doing the type of student developed and something of what these students accomplished after graduation it may be said that this was the beginning of hampton's active extension work as time went on white people came from north and south and the discussions went into the various social problems such as health housing business school facilities and the frank discussion of race relations the colored people told how they felt regarding certain matters affecting their relations with white people and we were able in some ways to get a clearer understanding of the southern white man's point of view in all of these discussions which were always frank and frequently animated there was never any personal feeling displayed it had the effect not only of giving the visitors a better knowledge of hampton but was equally effective in broadening the knowledge of our workers and students as to the viewpoint of these very intelligent men and women of the negro race as a result of these conferences people came to know dr Frissel, and while colored newspapers frequently criticized many of the white men who were heads of negro educational institutions and while it is not improbable that they did not always agree with all of dr Frissel's statements regarding the negro they rarely if ever criticized him and for twenty years there was comparatively little public criticism of hampton institute it was in this period of my life at hampton nineteen o five that i was married to miss elizabeth hunt harris of williamsburg virginia who entered heartily into the spirit and life of hampton institute 
but our happiness suddenly gave place to a great sadness on account of her illness and death after little more than a year the extension work of hampton institute among colored people in the south had by this time so developed that it was in need of reorganization much had been done by the field workers under the general direction of the chaplain dr h b turner dr turner had successively associated with him in this capacity various graduates of hampton among them were mr george brandon mr f m fitch and at various times mr t c walker a very successful lawyer farmer and teacher of gloucester county virginia while these men did very good work among graduates and former students especially in rural communities activities which dr wallace buttrick of the general education board so aptly called the lateral influences of hampton there grew out of these summer conferences a more definite organization for working not only among graduates and former students but among colored people generally especially in virginia and adjoining states at one of these conferences a committee was appointed of which i was made chairman to effect a permanent working organization after several meetings and much discussion we came to the conclusion that negroes were along many lines sufficiently well organized already if anything they were over organized there were business organizations divers farmers organizations organizations of professional men and many religious and social organizations besides various and sundry secret societies and lodges as a matter of fact there are very few colored people who are not members of some kind of organization and the secret society to many is almost as sacred as the church and the sunday school sometimes people who do not know are inclined to ridicule colored people because of the many and varied organizations which they maintain but in this connection they should keep in mind that the negro is accorded but little share in our government that few vote and almost none hold office he is not even permitted to sweep the streets in many cities because this is considered a political job so he organizes his secret societies shrouded often in mystery the more mysterious the more popular and sometimes it is true that he will neglect important duties to go to his lodge as a consequence of which many people are inclined to become impatient with him but the employers of these people should keep in mind the fact that in these lodges as well as other organizations they have their officers their president or grand master or perhaps noble grand their secretary or worthy scribe and other officials that they have a regular order of procedure and each member has the chance to vote and also to hold office parliamentary usage is discussed and followed as far as their knowledge goes one not familiar with these organizations would be surprised to find how accurate often is the knowledge of jefferson's and cushing's manuals and how closely the procedure of congress is followed in the proceedings of these sometimes very primitive bodies i dare say that frequently too much time is spent on points of order and other technicalities of procedure but all of this we must remember contributes to the race an important training in the development of social habits and is in effect an effort crude perhaps and sometimes amusing but nevertheless earnest on the part of a cramped people to express themselves in terms of democracy 
in view then of the existence of so many organizations it seems an unwise undertaking to start a new organization that had nothing concrete to offer it would not be a church or business it would not take care of the sick or bury the dead as was true of secret societies the idea was to organize negroes for their own betterment to combine some of the energy that was going into various things into one movement for the development of the entire community so it occurred to some of us that it would not be an unwise move to organize the organizations which we proceeded to do and called it the negro organization society of virginia our object was to experiment in our own state and if it proved to be the success we hoped it would of its own momentum spread into other states the motto was better schools better health better homes better farms this seemed to be a platform broad enough to take in all organizations of whatever kind or character a great many organizations as well as individuals accepted the movement with enthusiasm we elected professor j m gandy of the virginia normal and industrial institute at petersburg executive secretary with more than the usual quota of vice presidents and members of the executive board for the first year we proposed a clean-up week for the entire state of virginia and with the endorsement of governor mann and the state board of health as well as the state board of charities we launched a health campaign i need not mention here that in many places the white people men and women as well as the civic authorities throughout the state cooperated with the colored people in this movement giving prizes for the cleanest homes stables and backyards and putting carts and wagons at the disposal of the colored committees it was said when the campaign was over that virginia was never so clean in all of its history as on that saturday night in april nineteen thirteen we had asked every colored minister in the state to preach a special sermon on health on the sabbath preceding and sent out literature including circulars and statistics which we ourselves prepared and the state board of health published so that we had not only a clean state but a very much more intelligent state especially along lines of sanitation and health the next year as a feature of the same sort of campaign we set out to raise three thousand dollars to buy a farm upon which we were given to understand the state would establish a sanitarium for negro consumptives we had discovered in virginia what was also true of other southern states that while there were several sanitaria for the treatment of white consumptives the only two places in the state where negroes could be treated for tuberculosis were the state prison at richmond and the insane asylum at petersburg so that a colored consumptive in order to receive treatment in any institution in virginia public or private had either to be a convict or insane we used this argument most effectively in our campaign for funds among colored and white particularly among whites the white people led by such people as dr j t maston secretary of the state board of charities and miss agnes randolph a member of one of virginia's leading families and secretary of the anti-tuberculosis society of the state were aroused as never before to the appalling need of attention to the situation it was pointed out that the ratio of colored to white consumptives 
was something like three to one and inasmuch as negroes cooked the food washed the clothing nursed the children and did the house-cleaning for a great many of the white people of the state the negro consumptives among them ought to have a chance for treatment if for no higher reason than to protect the whites themselves the white people as well as the colored learned their lesson and led by miss randolph and encouraged by dr e g williams chairman of the state board of health the matter was brought before the state legislature which readily appropriated sufficient money to erect suitable buildings on the farm which had been secured by the negro organization society at our first annual meeting in richmond dr washington was invited to deliver the principal address which he did then and continued to do at all subsequent meetings up to his death he was very much interested in this organization and thought it would be a good thing to nationalize it so at the last meeting of the national negro business league over which he presided in boston a few months before his death i spoke at his request on nationalizing the negro organization society i was never however enthusiastic about having a national organization for the reason that i was not sure it had in it all the possibilities that many other people thought it contained to our annual meetings people frequently came from other states without invitation to study its operations with a view to introducing it in their own states it was gratifying that there were few organizations in virginia that did not join the movement some few ministers baptists felt they could not affiliate their churches with anything except an ecclesiastical organization but at the same time they put themselves down as cooperating or contributing members and instead of paying the stipulated membership fee of five dollars they took up a yearly collection for the society which sometimes amounted to as much as fifty dollars since then the organization society of virginia has grown and prospered most successfully with major allen washington my successor as commandant and hampton institute as president when i left the state i could not continue as president of the organization but have maintained my connection with the movement as honorary president during the war it proved its usefulness as the organization through which all of the various war movements in the state operated among colored people thrift stamps food conservation liberty bonds and all the rest but this movement in virginia had done much along the lines of its motto its most significant accomplishment in my opinion has been the bringing together as no other movement up to this time had done of the various elements of the colored population of the state such as methodists baptists masons oddfellows and scores of other social groups into a combined effort for the general good as bishop l j coppin of the african methodist episcopal church remarked in one of his conferences regarding the organization society it is a good thing for any one of my churches to share in a movement that is working not merely for methodists or baptists but for the highest development of all humanity but aside from bringing the colored people together what is of equal importance with this is the fact that the negro organization society succeeded in establishing a platform 
upon which both the white people and the colored people could work together for the good of all the people leading white citizens united with the leaders of our own race and met frequently to discuss the needs of the situation such as law enforcement housing schools health conditions and other topics white and colored women discussed the servant girl problem the protection of girls in domestic service the importance of making adequate provision for bathing and sleeping in order to secure reliable help and many other matters affecting the relations of the two races i am inclined to the belief that virginia is probably the best organized state in the union so far as race relationships are concerned and furthermore i do not think that i claim too much when i say that it is largely due to the effective work of this unique organization a short time before the beginning of the negro organization society some of the leading colored people in oklahoma conceived the idea that it would be very helpful if dr washington would make a tour of that state talking to white and colored people with reference primarily to race relationships at this time racial bitterness in oklahoma was strong because the state was rapidly growing very prosperous the colored people as well as the white accumulating considerable valuable property thus making competition in business very keen and creating more or less racial antagonism in view of these circumstances certain colored men of the state arranged this trip and dr washington invited me among others to accompany him it happened however that i was unfortunately unable to leave hampton at that time when i saw dr washington in new york a few weeks after his return from oklahoma he was very enthusiastic over the trip not because of the crowd so much as over the spirit in which they had accepted his very plain advice to both colored and white citizens because of the success of this trip a number of prominent colored men of mississippi among them mr charles banks and mr isaiah t montgomery of mound bayou a unique negro town in mississippi mr e p simmons mr perry howard a leading lawyer of jackson and others arranged for dr washington to make a similar trip through their state he again invited me and this time i was able to go it was the most wonderful experience of its kind i had up to that time ever had crowds of people met dr washington at every place we spent a week beginning at holly springs and going to most of the important cities in the state white and colored vied with each other to make the trip successful we had a private car in which the fifteen or twenty men of dr washington's party rode we frequently slept in the car at night especially if we had to make an early morning start to fill some engagement there were whisperings to the effect that a certain element of white people of mississippi would not permit negroes to ride in pullman cars in that state but no one took it very seriously mr banks who managed the tour kept in touch everywhere with the authorities and the railroad officials were continually on the alert there was not however the slightest semblance of trouble anywhere at jackson a rumor was afloat that our car would be blown up that night after we had gone to bed dr washington and the rest of us were advised not to remain on the car and to change our schedule but some of the city and railroad officials heard of these rumors and without our knowledge saw to it that the car was guarded 
by private detectives throughout the night our first intimation of this came to us from a railroad official the next morning as we were about to leave jackson for our next appointment he also told us what we believed from the first that there was no foundation whatever for the rumor a reference to this trip which appeared in the southern workman shortly thereafter reflects the impression which was made upon me at that time what surprised me most in this experience was that i did not find the colored people in mississippi nearly so badly off as i had expected the newspapers gave a great deal of space to the bad things they tell you of the mean things that are sometimes said in mississippi that the whites have no business to allow booker washington to hold meetings in the state that washington is a menace etc etc but you seldom hear from them how ex-governors and mayors ministers and bishops professional and business men southern white men and women lent their presence at his meetings and expressed their approval of what he said and did mr washington stated some very striking truths governor vardaman and anybody else may talk but the white people are not fools and they know that the colored man has the labor of the south in his own hands and that he needs to be educated and developed made physically and morally clean for the good of all the country said mr washington it is often said that the destiny of the negro is in the hands of the southern whites i can tell you that the reverse is also true the destiny of the southern white race is largely dependent on the negro in every southern white home the food is prepared by negro women your health your very life depends on their knowing how to prepare it far more than that the white youth of the south are being trained in their most tender years by negro girls it is of the first importance to you that these should be women of clean character when he told them these plain truths the white people accepted them with applause he said you can't have smallpox in the negro's home and nowhere else you need to see that the cabin is clean or disease will invade the mansion disease draws no color line the white people saw the point when mr washington said these things and when he told them that the education of the negro is needed for their sakes as well as for his own it was without doubt convincing i've never felt more hopeful and encouraged about my people than i have since my trip through mississippi from that time until his death dr washington continued to make similar trips in other states with the same results these tours covered virginia north carolina south carolina florida delaware tennessee texas and part of arkansas the last trip was made in louisiana in april of nineteen fifteen and dr washington looked forward also to going through maryland and georgia he was kind enough to insist upon my accompanying him on all of these trips he of course was the principal speaker in fact the only speaker except in so far as some of us would say a few words at the beginning he was always pleased to have the large audiences led in singing negro melodies which part i usually undertook i do not think i ever had such a sensation as we experienced at ocala florida where he was greeted by probably twenty thousand people at the fairgrounds just before dr washington was presented to the audience by judge w s bullock of ocala he asked me to lead them in singing in bright mansions above and when we were all singing 
the white people unconsciously joining in a woman of an east indian cast of features but coal-black and wearing a shawl of oriental colours rose in the audience and with an exceedingly melodious voice sang with great fervour above all the rest at the same time waving her red shawl with the rhythm of the music the entire audience even to dignified judges began swaying with the motion of this wonderful singing and every one sang as we say in our more primitive churches everybody was truly happy certainly i never heard such singing in all of my experience it seemed that every one was swept along with the emotional current of the moment i had to stop the singing for fear the swaying of bodies and patting of feet by the thousands of people on the grand stand would break it down perhaps with injury to many and great loss of life when dr washington rose to speak it was plainly evident that he was deeply affected i had heard him deliver hundreds of addresses and had listened to him a score or more times on this trip but for an hour and a half he held the audience absolutely within his grasp and he kept the same rapt attention that had been inspired by the music from the beginning of his address to the end he told the colored people in his very effective way of the duty they owed to their white neighbors as well as to their own race touching upon the importance of industry thrift and morality as was his custom and then he turned to the thousand or more white people and told of their duty toward the colored people producing such an effect on the audience as is altogether impossible to describe one white lady in describing his address for a southern paper said that he spoke with such force and vigor that she thought he might be stricken with apoplexy at any moment and that his sincerity and earnestness were irresistible adding that she had never experienced such sensations in all her life then she said suppose he had died what difference would it have made for he could never hope to deliver a better address or do it more effectively than he did this one nor could he ever create a stronger or deeper impression on any audience for the moment indeed he seemed almost transfigured and the audience with him i recall several times in louisiana when his physical strength had waned considerably and when he was perceptibly losing his energy and vigor that nevertheless the same impressions and emotional sensations were created as those experienced at ocala and except for the absence of the extraordinary excitement produced by the woman leading the singing and waving her shawl dr washington spoke with as much vigor and with this telling effect upon his audiences i am glad i had the rare chance not only of seeing at first hand the actual conditions among my own race and the relationships existing between the races in these various states in the south but of being with dr washington for many days at a time in close intimate personal contact i am glad to have had the chance of seeing how he handled delicate situations and his wonderful poise throughout i had been with him in scores of places in the north where he spoke to northern audiences and had been with him in his own home and mine for i had been married again this time to miss jenny d booth a graduate of hampton who for some years previous to our marriage had been a teacher in the whittier training school at hampton institute often we talked late into the night on hampton and tuskegee and the general situation as affecting the negro but nothing in all my contact with him impressed me so much as these occasions when he courageously pleaded the cause of human brotherhood 
in the section of his country to which he had dedicated his life one of the greatest privileges of my connection with hampton was the unusual opportunity that came to me of touching many and varied phases of its work having the direct responsibility for the discipline and military instruction of the young men negro and indian having a share in the admission of students to the institute adjusting as far as my limited ability went the relations between the school and its colored constituency interpreting to the best of my knowledge the south to the north and the north to the south substituting frequently for dr Frissell in his absence from his sunday-school class composed of postgraduates and seniors and leading and interpreting as a layman in music the plantation melodies or religious folk-songs of my people as well as helping the institute in its northern campaigns for funds and its southern extension work all of this gave me a training and experience the value of which it is impossible for me to overestimate End of chapter 8